Digital Marketing Radio, episode 243, the future of events post-COVID. Digital Marketing Radio with David Bain. Hi, I'm David Bain and this is Digital Marketing Radio, the show for in-house agency and entrepreneurial marketers who want to stay on top of the latest tools, tactics and trends shared by today's modern marketing masters. How is the event industry going to change post-COVID? As a marketer, should you plan to get back into the events game soon? Or are we more likely to see hybrid events in the future, a combination between virtual and physical events? And if so, what does that mean for marketers? Those are just some of the questions that I'm going to be asking my guest today on Digital Marketing Radio, episode 243. She is a lady who's as passionate about storytelling as she is about marketing and sales. And those two masterminds speak her language. She specialises in developing virtual, hybrid and physical events, including event marketing strategy that incorporates social media, brand planning, campaign planning and performance tracking. She's the director of event marketing at Informa. Welcome to DMR, Catherine Frankson. Thanks, David. Great to be here. Yeah, great to have you um, on the show, Catherine, where you can find Catherine, um, what she does over at Informa.com. So, Catherine, how has the traditional events industry coped? over the past year? (laughs) Well, when your entire industry shuts down, you have to change absolutely everything. So um, a lot of the coping, it's been interesting. So, you know, initially when COVID happened, events were pushed back. No one knew the timeline. So you were sort of dealing with, you know, how do we adjust for the physical event? Then altogether, events canceled. So the, the shift became to virtual very, very quickly. Some some more quickly than others, but that that was the direction. That's what allowed there to be a point of, of everyone moving forward. And what's interesting about that is so you had a year where virtual events scaled and our audiences had a chance to participate in such a variety of virtual events but also realize if they actually missed the physical version of your event or not, because they were able to go a year without it. So, so the, the adjustments for, for virtual was, was really where everyone lived. Initially, it was a lot of translating your actual event, what you did in a live format into virtual. We all quickly realized that that was probably too much content, too much programming. It, it didn't, you're not on site. You're not immersed in an event. Audiences are at home in this, this new world of, of distraction. And when you only have your laptop in front of you and they can look at a phone or have four other browsers open, you really quickly have to step into our job is also to be more entertaining, to create better engagement, to find ways to incorporate our partners in a different way. So it, it all started in that virtual framework and then the iterations came from there as we learned. So are we going to see full-scale events return as we knew them pre-COVID fairly soon? They will return. My hope is that they aren't exactly how we how we built them before. I think it, in, in, in my opinion, the big upside in the event landscape from COVID is that everyone had, although very painful and, you know, your loss of revenue and loss of these experiences that, you know, you loved producing and audience loved. Um, but it really, everyone has to reinvent. So, so physical events will, will come back. We're seeing events 
We've had a few trade already. It, it depends on what vertical you're in, what region your event would take place in. And then also really the, the, the brand health. Can you, is there a compelling reason to hold your event? But so we, there's been a few, but we're certainly planning for the fourth quarter and certainly for 2022, but everyone is taking a look at, at your events, even if it was what you consider a traditional, you know, on the, the B2B side of things, conference and trade show, you have to look at how do we change our, our value prop? Because those same, just the same problems that you're solving for your audiences might not be there. And the same competitive advantage that you had for your event might not be there. If, if they've realized, oh, okay, well, I can get a level of the education that I was receiving online, then you have to think about what are you offering for you know more immersive experiences for networking, education that isn't just speakers talking to audiences. Maybe they can create something together. So because that that feeds into the marketing side, you have to find a new story to tell because it's 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 harder to get you know audiences to book travel, justify the budget everyone's in these new patterns of working and living. So it starts with defining what that new product is. And then, and then you start to work backwards from there with your messaging. So you alluded to the fact that um, virtual events need to be shorter than conventional in-person events because people have so many different mm -hmm. distractions. So is there an ideal length for virtual events and what kind of format tends to work better for a virtual event? They're getting shorter and shorter. So initially we thought we were very, we're like, Ooh, we're moving to 45 minute sessions or 30 sessions, but it can, it can depend. So we still have some events that we run virtual events that are, you know, sessions that are in, in an hour, they're half day events. Some are even full day. And then you have others where they, they're these short snippets. It's, it's 45 minute increments of content, but it's all, it's all around how you program it. So if you are going to do something that's a half day, think about it in, in blocks of time. Okay. Cause we have some events where you've got continuing education credits attached to it. And there is a little bit more of a format within that, but then we think, how do we, how do we open it in an attention getting way? How do we give the right amount of breaks? How do we build in some, you know, some entertainment into that. So it, it just doesn't feel exhaustive and just very, you know, static in terms of how you're consuming it. But, but some are 30 minutes and, and up. So it, it all, it can, it can be a, a pretty big range. So can you really realistically then deliver a hybrid event that works for both online and in-person attendees at the same time? I think so. That's the new, that's the new frontier of what's being being developed is, and, and it'll be, it's interesting both from a, a product event design engineering standpoint, and then also how you choose to market it because, you know, you, you do have to build those two experiences. And there's a lot of talk now of, oh, well, don't, don't just stream content. That's not truly hybrid. And I, I do think everyone should be freed up to design for their specific audience. That, that should be one of the big takeaways is that, for events to still be relevant, those who are closest to their audiences and are able to iterate more than we were before, you kind of had your event format and it worked and, and you sort of picked that up each year. Um, but yeah, for, for hybrid, you're designing for, you've got your physical in-person experience, 
And then you've got this digital component, which which does feel very exciting because, you know, depending on the size and scale of your event, I mean, ultimately, even if you're a large event, that's a small portion of your your total audience of your database that's probably coming to your event annually. And so it does it does create more opportunity. But then the question is, what's that digital experience? I think everyone kind of understands the we we've been to events, we know the physical experience. Um, so it's it's trying to find up those points where the audiences can join up. And then from the marketing standpoint, you have to back up and say, who do we, how do we path everyone and make each of these options really clear? And what what from our data sets are we are we are we using? So we know we're going to message our past alumni potentially differently than international audiences. So so it, it's it's interesting to think about almost having two audience sets for both your event and and your campaigns themselves. So you touched on letting the audiences link up. Is that in the form of just social media? Or would you actually try and bring in the virtual audience to maybe some kind of discussion panel so they're actually actively involved with the same audience at the, at the, at the physical event? So both, but ideally you would have a platform that would allow your audience virtually to interact with your audience on site. Because that's also where it gets it gets a bit more exciting, where it doesn't feel like it's as as separate for for both of your event audiences. Okay, okay, got you. Okay, so uh, a, a platform, so um, s- some kind of um, maybe proprietary software that um, the, the event is being mm-hmm. broadcast live on, that the virtual audience is obviously on, but I guess giving the live audience access to the same platform at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and it's, it's interesting. So there's a couple of different formats in play. You have some where um, event designers are actually, you're, you've got your physical in-person audience, you've got a stage, a stage set, think of, you know, a keynote, you might even have, a, you know, a, a screen, an LED screen where you're actually bringing in your audience virtually, you know, maybe you're doing a subset of VIPs, they're coming in. So you're actually getting a little bit of FaceTime there. And then on that platform or on your mobile app experience, you can also do chat, you can do polling, you can you can kind of let those two audiences, you know, talk about what they're seeing and experiencing and communicate about that in real time. Are there some elements of a, an in-person experience that you just shouldn't attempt to replicate in a virtual form? I'm thinking things like um, after-event drinks that uh, perhaps work best in a, in a face-to-face basis. <laughs> yes, I don't think anyone is eager to zoom into the you know hotel hotel bar necessarily. But yeah, I think you do have to pick and choose because you also want to be cognizant of why why someone's joining virtually, a different experience that someone is going to get when they're more immersed on site um, and plan for that. Because you do have to be realistic both about what you can what you can actually deliver, what the tech is going to allow you to do and 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 what's going to feel most organic for your audience. And if those networking components feel like they should be a little bit separate and you're doing something specifically for, you know, a round table or something in the virtual space for that audience that just is going to feel a little bit more organic. Maybe it is, uh, you know, a little bit shorter. Your, your programming is a little bit more condensed Then that's, you want to be able to make those decisions. So what does this mean for exhibitors? Because 
Part of traditional events is you have an opportunity to sell space to exhibitors and attendees have an opportunity mm-hmm. to attend these halls. Is that something that can be replicated online as well or do you have to actually offer something entirely different to exhibitors online? Is there a different kind of business proposition that works better online? I think there is a different proposition that works better online. That was one of the areas that we've all been solving for and I would say is still a work in progress. Education piece, we've figured that out engagement, how do we get audiences to feel really connected and and connect a little bit before and after, we're getting a lot better at that. And, you know, translating an exhibitor experience when we initially did that early on, it 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 was a little flat in many ways. I mean, it was sort of web a web page where, you know, audiences could go in and then sometimes a video would would auto-generate. And that also wasn't, it was it wasn't always the best the best experience overall. We we got a little bit better at it because some of it was coaching exhibitors on the experiences, finding ways for them to not have to sit in these virtual booths all day so that they were only coming during high traffic times and, and also coaching them around the, the idea of an attendee just coming in and being pitched is not really where they want to be met. Um, but I do think what we found that works best virtually is as much as you can bring your partners in at a sponsorship level and design something that's a little bit more embedded into the event itself, they see much better results. So especially if you're doing, if you're doing a virtual event series, which can be a great way to offer up more, more sponsorship opportunities, but also more custom content for your audience, it can be great to have them involved, you know, Q&A with the, with the keynote, they're actually, you know, presenting content themselves. Maybe they're, they're doing a demo, but the more that you can bring them in a a little less church and state, um, virtually, we found that that works really well. So in essence, that means more sponsored speaking opportunities, um, so that the brand can, yeah, it can. And especially, and that's where if you're doing, if you, if you have the opportunity to do a virtual, a pre or post, a virtual lead up, up series where it's, you know, it's, it's AMAs or it's presenting, it's an ongoing, you know, presenting content, um, probably, you know, to your different ideal customer profiles or personas, it can be a much more organic way to bring, to bring sponsors in. Um, and it performs really well, especially if you align them with the right speakers. I think traditionally we've thought of sponsors, we'll, we'll give them their logo coverage. They're sort of underwriting the event. Um, but we, we don't want to, you know, we want to make it clear that they're, this is where the sponsors live and this is where our, our, our pure content, our speakers, our keynotes. And I think we've also seen a lot more joining up with sponsors and partners that we don't have to keep them. We don't have to keep them so separate. If they've got a really strong point of view and we, we can really put them into the content programming, it can be valuable for them, but also for, for audiences. Cause we, we did get that as a point of feedback, actually. We had this exhibitor experience, which was still developing, and they were saying, we want a little more engagement, we want more leads. But then inversely, we had audiences saying, we do want to, we want to know what the new products are in our space. We want to, we want to find more, more tech. It's great to get this education and to get these insights, but we also kind of want to know what's what's new and different. And so that that was also one of the prompts to say, oh, well, maybe we can rethink this. So what does this hybrid format mean for the skills that you're looking for in a speaker? Um, is there a different skill set required? And is the structure of a presentation that you're looking 
from a uh, speaker slightly different because it has to work well virtually as well as in person? Yes, you're going well. And I think that I think speakers have come along a long way on the tech side. Many of them have been doing virtual events speaking this year. But the the onus also falls on if you have someone who's really talented, they're bright, they've got a, a, a specialty. We do events in in a host of, of different markets. And so some are less on the professional speaking circuit per se, but they're incredible subject matter experts. So I also think a big portion of it falls on show organizers and event planners and producers to help prepare them. So if you say you're going to have your your keynote or a subset of your speakers, you say, yep, this is the format. We want to make sure you're polished. We want to do tech checks. This is how this is going to work. Comfort level, especially with your MC, but other other speakers, it's it's a new format to everyone. So a lot of it's also just going to be like taking the time to walk through everything really clearly and making sure that you're you're giving your speakers the chance to feel to feel comfortable to understand how the format is is going to work. So you touched upon leads as a measurement of success for sponsors and exhibitors. Mm-hmm. What are maybe one or two ways that um, you would advise um, sponsors to actually try to to maximize the number of leads that are generated? Are there different offers or incentives or competitions that tend to be more effective? We did. We did a lot of coaching in this area for our for our partners. So we found that I mean, anytime they can offer up content that our audience is really interested in, it performed really well. Because it's you have to think of it as a, a value exchange. And that was part of that conversation is, of course, we get that you want someone to come in and you want to you know introduce yourself and, and position your product. But if you can be the thought leader, you, you've got your product. But if they can sort of zoom up a level and say, yes, we produce X, this is the service that we offer, but we're a thought leader in this space. Here's our you know, pricing guide. Here's our, here's our white paper. We offer free, free consulting. If they're bringing in a speaker of their own, um, we have seen, you know, some of the, some of the prize stuff works too. If they're offering, you know, we've had some offer AirPods and and some gifts, but I, I think if you can find a little bit more of, uh, it's, it's a good incentive and it works and it can be a fun, you know, conversation starter, but anyone that's bringing a little bit of their own content to the table and kind of putting in that legwork, um, they found that it, it started more conversations and turned into more valuable leads for them. So are you talking about content in exchange for opting in f- for the lead or, or free content at the event with a view to actually them engaging with the brand and then coming towards you naturally by themselves? Yeah, free content. Okay. So, he- so we're going to be partnering at this event and here's here's what we have to offer you. Here's what we have to say. It's not just coming from the place of, we want to show you our wares. We want to show you our products. It's here's the reason to visit in, in the scenario of having a virtual booth. It's here's the reason to come to our booth. And then that means they're doing a little bit of their own marketing and we can partner with them on that, but it just gives our audiences a reason to, to make that opt-in a little bit easier because then they're interested in, in, in what they can get. They're interested in what they can talk about. They're interested in what, in what that partner is actually going to share. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. All about the the value exchange, just making the consumer feel that they're actually, it's an equal relationship and they're not just giving away yeah. their details. Yeah. Wonderful stuff. Exactly. Okay. Well, let's segue to part two of our discussion. It's now time for Catherine's thoughts on the state of digital marketing today. So starting off with, Secret software. So, Catherine, share a lesser-known Martech 
tool that's bringing you a lot of value at the moment and why that tool is important for you? One of my favorite tools now, and speaking of content, is Turtle. So we, T-U-R-T-L dot co, um, we switched over um, about a year ago, all of our content from PDFs into these interactive, um, well-designed thought leadership pieces. What's very cool about it is that one, you can create these actual interactive templates for your, if you've, you know, a bigger sales and marketing team, give them these different versions. They just fill out a form for their client. It, it auto-populates everything. So they're able to send out custom sponsor, sponsorship packages at scale. Um, on the marketing side as well, you can actually see where where your audience is spending spending their time. So you can see which chapters and which page and how much they're sharing. And you can do direct to social embed links on there. And it tracks all of that, which is, is actually really interesting because then we can look at that and go, oh, we did this whole white paper. This subject was the most important. And then let's turn that into its own its own piece. And if you're using content as lead gen, what I also like about it is you can put your gate anywhere in the piece. So instead of that, just having to live on your on your landing page and write a little blurb and they have to fill out the form, they can actually kind of go go into this piece, realize that it's it's actually valuable. What you know, videos are embedded, um, poll quotes come out, and then and then if you if you do want to gate it, um, you can just bear that a little bit deeper, so they're more enticed to fill that out. I like that um, because I think there are too many pieces of content now that ask for the leads too quickly before the consumers had the yep. opportunity to yep. just decide if it's the right piece Find of content. Find out if it's good them. or not. Yeah, yeah exactly. Absolutely. Yep. Okay, well, so that's turtle.co. Uh, they describe themselves as enterprise mm -hmm. content automation. Uh, but moving on um, from something you currently use to something that you're going to use, so that is... Next on the list. So what's one marketing activity or tool that you haven't tried yet, but you want to test soon? Okay, I've I've two. So, so we do a lot of sales enablement, you know, lead meeting generation for our sales team, tracking everything to revenue. So that's one of our big our big areas of focus. And I think as marketers, we've figured out how to generate leads. And we know there's sort of the, the sales marketing lead battle, but um, Gong is a tool that is in, is in my sites, which is um, revenue optimization. You can listen to it sort of tracks, you know, sales calls, messaging, so that you're getting those insights back, like what are customers saying? Um, what's what's the feedback? Because currently, the the visibility that we have is as you look at your your pipeline analytics and in, in Salesforce, or you talk to your sales teams, and and it can feel more anecdotal um, than just rooted in data. And especially for them too, if you have a large Salesforce, then you can um, run this across all of your teams. So that's the first one. And the other would be um, a tool that I've been following is called Sales Whale. Um, and that's actually for, um, it's an AI enablement tool that helps any of your, your leads that are just sitting there mid funnel. Um, and, it, and it actually, it, it works them so your sales teams don't have to. So that's, it, it feels like that it becomes a big revenue opportunity lift because we put so much focus on we'll generate great content or we'll run really interesting events. We want to create leads that create new opportunities. And then it feels like it sort of goes into the abyss and sales teams, understandably, are going to work key accounts and ICPs. And so I think just 
using those two tools and really seeing that if we harness the full potential of everything that we're we're putting across the fence and seeing what that revenue output would be, I think that would be really exciting. Great. Tanya Fuchs on Facebook is, or on LinkedIn, sorry, is saying, ooh, did a quick uh, Google turtle looks interesting. Um, it certainly it's does indeed. Uh, tur- turtle.co. Um, all of the recommendations sound interesting. So that's gong.io, saleswell.com yep. as well. Uh, sales will mm-hmm. stop marketing leads from slipping through the, 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 the cracks. Certainly with B2B leads, Slipping through the, the 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 cracks can be very costly indeed, and um, anything yes. that will stop that will is absolutely superb. Okay, well, let us move on to the this or that round. So this is the quick response <laughs> round. <laughs> Ten quick questions, just two rows here. Try not to think about the answer too much, and you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion. So use it wisely. Are you ready? Okay. I am ready. <laughs> TikTok or Twitter? Twitter. Facebook or LinkedIn? LinkedIn. YouTube or podcast? Podcast. Traffic or leads? Ooh, both. Paid search or SEO? Paid search. Ads or influencers? Ads. Google ads or Facebook ads? Facebook ads. Email marketing or chat marketing? Email marketing. Martech Stack or all-in-one platform? Ooh, uh, Martech Stack. One-to-one or scale? Oh, I wish I hadn't used my both. Um, one-to-one. I was going to say that you used your both relatively early. Um, traffic or leads, you picked both for that. Um, what, why was that? Why were both important? Uh, you know, ultimately for us, you want everything. You use your your revenue as your north star. You know, so but you, but you have to work backwards from that. And I think too, when we we've been actually doing a lot of analysis of the good old marketing funnel, um, and it 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 does feel like you need you need both. You need to make sure that you're driving the right sources and volume of of traffic and targeting in the right ways so that you generate the the volume of leads that you that you do want yeah it's a it's it's a challenge just to 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 focus on the one thing and and certainly multiple things metrics different metrics are important uh, in business Uh, let's move Mm -hmm. on to the ten thousand dollar question if i was to give you ten thousand dollars and you had to spend it over the next few days in a single thing to grow your business what would you spend it on and how would you measure success oh i this is so exciting this is like a dream like just give me a big wad of money um I would, so we've got a lot of content from our, our, you know, conferences, virtual conferences that we produce. I would hire a great video editor to do some really strong video ad content. And I would run a series of, of paid ad campaigns across LinkedIn and Facebook so that I could actually do a test within both, within both platforms. We, Within the budgeting for for events, you tend to not do you know heavy high scale investments across a multitude of of platforms. Um, we've sort of had to pick and choose. So I'd be really interested to see if we had a great great video reel, a couple of different edits of it that we could do for an initial ad treatment, uh, a re- retargeting follow up. If, if it felt like the creative was exactly right and compelling, and we put some real dollars behind it, would we see 
higher conversions for a, you know an upcoming event that we're we're marketing. So if you're doing video ads and you were targeting um, a new audience, an audience that hadn't actually engaged with you before, would you try to drive them towards a call to action immediately, or would you warm them up by getting them to watch the video and then perhaps retargeting them with a firmer call to action? if they watch all of the initial video? Yes, I would do a, a, a first campaign where it's warming them up with the with the video, you know, in, enticing copy, knowing that, you know, they're, they're going to watch it hopefully in feed, maybe do a little bit of their own research, and then through a retargeting campaign, second message, leaning a little bit more into less just the excitement of the event and more, why, what's that, you know, what's the value that it's offering? I think the the conversion points with virtual become a little bit easier. So I think you can make that right hook a little bit sooner. I would still do it on the second touch um, with, you know, in real life events that I, I think it takes a little bit more communication, but I think it'd be very interesting to see, okay, we, we nailed the video second, you know, second call to action is really specific, really, really pithy great offer. We've leveraged, uh, you know, a big attention getting keynote that we've used before. Um, so yeah, so I would structure it as, as a follow-up campaign. Great. Great. Um, it's, it's funny when you say, um, someone gives me a big wad of money and I was trying to think of a figure, $10,000 I picked, um, that would be useful for enterprises, but also, um, small businesses at the same time, because obviously Mm -hmm. $10,000 isn't necessarily a lot of money to a massive enterprise. But, um, I guess if you're strategic about it and you had to demonstrate results from it, it's still a reasonable amount of money. Yes. In my mind, I'm like, okay, if we have to spend it in two days (laughs) Mm. and show return, put, you know, put an added fun $10,000 in the budget, but yeah. It'd be a fun one to play with. Well, to finish off, let's focus uh, on someone else who deserves it. So that is a magical marketer. So who's an up and coming marketer that you'd like to give a shout out to? What can we learn from them and where can we find them? All right. My magical marketer is um, a woman named Deborah Carver, and she is incredibly bright. She started her own company called the Content Technologist. So it's content uh, dash so content hyphen technologist.com. Um, her background is in, she was a journalist, um, then moved into SEO and paid. And by, by going into all the different specific areas of marketing, she realized the, the role of technology and your tech stack in terms of, of how it actually influences your, your audiences and your data capture. And she's, just a really bright mind and futurist. And I think it's great that she started her own company and it's focused on actually having real conversations with, with people in the industry about what, what technology are using. She's agnostic. So it's, she can actually say, is it, is it working or not? Um, and then make the real recommendations that, that turn into campaigns that I think deliver probably, you know, more significant results. Um, but yeah, she's, she's fantastic. Great. She signs it as well. And I love this question because you get to meet different uh, magical marketers that perhaps people haven't actually heard of beforehand. And of course, you were recommended as a magical marketer in a a previous episode as well. It's so great. (laughs) So here we go. Um, This was episode 243 of Digital Marketing Radio, where Catherine Frankson from Informa shared some great tips about um, how online events generally have to be a little bit shorter and more succinct. Don't do your lengthy presentations online um, to 
keep people engaged because people have four screens open at the same time. Um, also, when you're exhibiting or sponsoring, offer value and content before you generate leads as well. Try and engage with that person before you ask them to marry you. Uh, shared as secret <laughs> software was uh, Turtle, uh, turtle.com. CO, Enterprise Content Automation Software. Next on the list was uh, gong.io and saleswell.com. And your mar- magical marketer, Catherine, was Deborah Carver, content-technologies.com. Um, everything, everything Catherine mentioned there will be in the show notes at um, digitalmarketingradio.com and, um, of course, in the description on the YouTube channel after um, we finished broadcasting live, um, just go to youtube.com slash digitalmarketingradio. Catherine, What's the best social platform for someone to follow you and to say hi? Uh, Find me on LinkedIn at Catherine Frankson. Superb. Okay, well, thanks so much for coming on. Um, I have been your host, David Bain. You can also find me producing podcasts for B2B brands over at castingcred.com. Please remember, wherever you're tuning in, feedback is fantabulous. Until we meet again, stay hungry, stay foolish, and stay subscribed. Aloha. DigitalMarketingRadio.com DigitalMarketingRadio.com DigitalMarketingRadio DigitalMarketingRadio DigitalMarketingRadio.com